Welcome. You're listening to Blood Advances Talks. Blood Advances Talks are scholarly review articles that are presented in an audio format and published in the American Society of Hematology's open access journal, Blood Advances. Transcripts for Blood Advances Talks undergo the same rigorous peer review process as all articles published in Blood Advances and can be downloaded by visiting bloodadvances.org. We thank you for listening. My name is Francesco Rodeghiero and I am the Scientific Director of the Hematology Project Foundation affiliated to the Department of Hematology of the San Bortolo Hospital in Vicenza, Italy. I have some conflicts of interest to disclose as I am a member of the advisory board for Amgen, Novartis and Argenks. The title of my talk is ITP and Thrombosis, an Intriguing Association. Platelets maintain endothelium integrity and by initiating the hemostatic process at the site of vascular damage, prevent red blood cells from leaking out of the circulatory system. So it could seem paradoxical that not only hemorrhagic, but also thrombotic manifestations may occur in patients with low platelet count. Indeed, only very recently, an increased thrombotic risk has been associated to immune thrombocytopenia, ITP, suggesting some apparent similarities of this autoimmune disorder with the other acquired thrombocytopenias of uh, immune nature, like heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura, or antiphospholipid syndrome, in which hypercoagulability is an ongoing process. In these latter diseases, thrombosis occur at a much higher extent than in ITP, in which hemorrhage is still the main feature. Although mentioned in the description of some historical series of ITP patients, interest in the systematic clinical investigation of thrombosis was prompted by the report of sporadic cases of severe thromboembolic events occurring in the early phase two and the subsequent pivotal studies on the clinical safety and efficacy of the two main thrombopoietin receptor agonists, TPO receptor agonists, romiplostin and then thrombopag, and in many anecdotal reports. A doc population-based epidemiological studies comparing control population to primary chronic ITP patients were initiated and supported by the companies producing TPO receptor agonists with the aim to verify if ITP itself is burdened by an increased risk of thrombosis, independently from the use of these agents. Controls, general or non-ITP cases matched at least by age and sex, and the patients were captured through census data linked to administrative data such as discharge, health insurance, or national registries classification codes. To account for the different exposure or observation times, most authors use annualized incidence rates or incidence proportion, censoring at the first arterial or venous thromboembolic event occurring after entering into the study, irrespective of previous thrombotic episodes. When not differently specified, we will report the thromboembolic incidence rate per 100 subjects per year, annualized rate. These figures provide only a rough estimate due to the, the differences in study design and inclusion criteria for the investigated population. 
five main retrospective population-based studies are available and have been summarized in some detail by the author. For venous thromboembolism, the annualized rate in ITP patients ranged from 0.41 to 0.67, while the values for controls ranged from 0.09 to 0.42, with barely significant differences among the individual studies. For arterial thrombosis, the corresponding values ranged from 0.96 to 1.15 for ITP patients and from 0.67 to 0.91 for controls, after exclusion of an outlier value in a single study. On the overall, 6,792 ITP patients and 38,790 control subjects were investigated with an observation period ranging from 15 months to a few years. In summary, these studies show evidence that the risk of venous thromboembolism is around two times higher in chronic ITP compared to controls. The increased risk is more evident in patients older than 50 and 60, but despite the high number of participants, these studies have no power to show significant differences according to the specific age subgroups. For arterial thrombosis, there is a trend for increased risk in chronic ITP, but again, statistical significance was not reached apart from a single study. Unexpectedly, no significantly higher risk for spinectomized patients can be derived from this investigation. At the variance with these findings, at least two large studies showed higher risk of venous and arterial thrombosis in patients who underwent splenectomy in keeping with the well-known prothrombotic risk of splenectomy when performed for other disorders like intermediate thalassemia, splenic trauma, or congenital spherocytosis. Boyle et al., by examining the records of patients hospitalized in non-federal hospitals in California, identified 9,976 non splenectomized ITP patients, 1,762 of whom had a second hospitalization for splenectomy after a median follow-up of five years. They found a long-term risk of venous thromboembolism 2.7-fold higher in this group than in matched patients with ITP who did not undergo splenectomy. In a multicenter retrospective study based on the direct inspection of individual clinical records, relevant information were obtained in 986 patients with newly diagnosed ITP, ITP requiring at least one line of treatment, including 136 splenectomized patients. During a media follow-up of almost four years, the annualized rate of first thrombotic events were 1.14 total, 0.39 minus, and 0.71 arterial in keeping with the average figures produced by the population-based comparative studies mentioned above. Furthermore, in agreement with Boyle et al., this study confirmed that the thrombotic risk is increased in splenectomized patients with an hazard ratio of 4.1 for venous and 3.2 for arterial thromboembolism. Interestingly, thrombosis occurs irrespective of platelet count with counts proxy to the event as low as less than 20,000 per microliter and most cases occurring at the normal levels and not in thrombocytosis patients. 
In contrast to the relatively low thrombotic burden ITP patient, the pre-TPO receptor agonist period, a surprisingly higher annualized rate of thrombosis was reported with these agents. After more than six years of clinical use, the overall safety of TPO receptor agonists has been regularly reviewed. A particular focus was posed on thrombosis, which was reported in phase two and three studies. Furthermore, mature data are now available from well-conducted long-term extension investigations. I will discuss these studies, leaving apart the increasingly number of case reports of unusual thrombotic episodes in patients treated with these patients. For romiplostin, data are available from two integrated analyses of studies conducted by the industry on all patients exposed to the agent. The first included 653 patients through June 2009, and the second included 994 patients through 2011. Quite a large number of patients experienced more than one thrombotic episode with an analyzed incidence of first thrombotic event of 4.2 more frequently venous. The mean exposure time was only 1.41 years in the first study, so that the crude event rate, 6%, is very high, and indeed 75% of thrombotic events occurred in the first year of exposure. Four thrombotic events were fatal. The most recent integrated analysis showed a thrombotic rate of 5.5. A separated sub-analysis was limited to the 291 patients who underwent a long-term open-label study after the completion of a previous ITP study with romipostine. 25 thromboembolic events occurred in 19 of these patients, 6.5% after a mean exposure time of 2.11 years, yielding an annualized risk of first thrombotic event, mainly arterial, of 3.1. Patients experiencing adverse events in primary studies might have been discouraged from entering a long-term study, thus explaining this lower event rate in this last investigation. A thrombotic rate of 3.9 was found in another study aimed at evaluating bone marrow fibrosis in 196 patients, 9% of whom developed at least one thromboembolic event. Very recently, safety and efficacy of foramiplostin were separately assessed in 391 splenotomized patients and 655 non-splenotomized patients 30 thromboembolic events occurred in splenotomized for an annualized rate of 4.27, while 39 thromboembolic events occurred in non-splenotomized for an annualized thrombotic rate of 3.45. This data seems to indicate that romiplostin could be quite safe even in splenotomized patients despite their purported higher risk of thrombosis. For a thrombopag, we have only data produced by an updated analysis evaluating safety and efficacy of this agent in 302 patients with chronic ITP who were enrolled in a longer-term open-label extension study. Patients had already completed a previous thrombopal study without any serious adverse events. The overall median exposure was 2.35 years, with some cases followed for up to almost five years to February 2013. During the study, 6.3% of patients, 19 out of 302, experienced 26 thromboembolic events 
with an incidence rate of first thromboembolic events of 2.53. 13 randomized controlled trials were included in a recent systematic review and meta-analysis. The pool results showed no increased risk of thrombosis in those exposed to TPR receptor agonists compared to cases treated with standard of care. Unfortunately, this analysis failed to adjust thrombotic events for time of exposure or observation and excluded the long-term studies on romiplostin and the thrombopack. To summarize, in the studies with both romiplostin and the thrombopack, thrombotic events appear to be more frequent in patients of older age and having at least one general risk factor for thrombosis. In addition to deep and superficial venous thrombosis, pulmonary embolism, spinoportal thrombosis, and intracranial venous thrombosis, very rare occurrences in general population, were also reported. Among arterial thrombosis, myocardial infarction and stroke or transit ischemic attacks were prevailing. A minority of thrombosis resulted in patients' death. No apparent relationship with platelet count or TPR receptor agonist dose was evident. The higher rate of thrombosis found in patients exposed to TPR receptor agonist may be, at least in part, due to the prospective nature of this investigation and the stricter monitoring that is required to comply with the regulatory obligation of industry promoted studies. Not working, a significant proportion of patients experiencing a first thrombotic event while assuming TPR receptor agonists were able to continue their treatment, but in some, a second thrombotic event occurred. No details were provided as to which antithrombotic treatment was administered. In conclusion, while in chronic ITP patients not exposed to TPR receptor agonists, the thrombotic rate seems only slightly increased compared to control population, less than twice. In patients treated with TPR receptor agonists, the thrombotic rate seems further increased and could be estimated as three to four times higher than in control population. Why is thrombotic risk increased in ITP? In addition to the contribution of classic risk factors for thrombosis like for thrombosis like diabetes, hypertension, diminished physical activity, hospitalization, older age, that might be more prevalent in ITP than in general population, now clearly defined ITP specific risk factor has been identified. In common with other autoimmune disorders like systemic lupus erythematosus and similar connective tissue autoimmune disorders, also burdened with a high risk of thrombosis, ITP shares an increased level of pro-inflammatory T1 cytokines. Furthermore, as in these disorders, additional pathogenic autoantibodies like antiphospholipid antibodies or anti-endothelial cell antibodies have been found in a proportion of ITP patients. These antibodies are thought to interfere with the finely tuned balance required to maintain endothelial integrity, avoiding leaking of blood, but also preventing thrombosis. Antiphospholipid antibodies are consistently found in 20-30% or more ITP patients. Easily available ELISA methods allow detection of these less specific anticardiolipid anti antibodies and of the antibodies specifically directed against 
beta-2 glycoprotein 1. Using APTT-based coagulation assays, lupus anticoagulant activity can also reveal in a lower proportion of cases. Patients positive for antiphospholipid antibodies might have a two to four times higher thrombotic risk compared with patients without antiphospholipid antibodies, with the highest risk in those with lupus anticoagulant or beta-2 glycoprotein 1. However, these findings have not been variably confirmed. The prothrombotic effect of antiphospholipid antibodies has been linked to their ability to trigger platelet activation, decrease the production of prostacycline, nitric oxide, and anticoagulant protein C. The occurrence of antiendothelial cell antibodies in ITP has been attributed to the molecular similarity between alpha-2b beta-3 integrin, the major target of antiplatelet out antibodies in ITP, and the endothelial integrin alpha-5 beta-3, also known as a vitronectin receptor. Vitronectin receptor is an essential component implicating endothelial cell adhesion to the vascular matrix as well as white blood cell adhesion to and transmigration across endothelial cells. Furthermore, endothelial cell activation by immunoglobulin isolated from patients with ITP and antiphospholipid antibodies has also been demonstrated. Elevated levels of platelet microparticles in ITP have been reported by many authors. These microparticles are rich in beta-2 glycoprotein, glycoprotein 1, P-selecting, factor 5, and express the procoagulant phosphatidyl serine to possibly induce a prothrombotic tendency by providing a surface that can bind and assemble the procoagulant enzyme confactor complexes. Moreover, red blood cell and leukocyte microparticles and to a lesser extent platelet and endothelial cell microparticles have been found at increased concentration in versus non-splenectomized patients, in keeping with the increased thrombotic risk of serving splenectomized patients. The pathogenetic mechanism responsible for the increased thrombotic risk due to TPO receptor agonists have been poorly investigated. Platelet activation after in vitro or ex vivo exposure to TPO receptor agonists has been examined with a variety of different assays, including platelet aggregation or adhesion assays conducted with a sub-threshold concentration of ADP, collagen, or thrombin receptor activating peptide or by measuring the surface expression of activation marker like P-selecting through flow cytometry. This technique allows ex vivo studies at very low platelet counts. Most of these studies have been done with a thrombopack. This non-peptide small molecule binds to a species-specific transmembrane domain of TPR receptor present exclusively in humans and in chimpanzees. On the contrary, like natural TPO, natural TPO, romiplostin, being binds to the extracellular portion of TPO receptor. In addition to their common mining effect on check to start signaling cascade, these differences between the two TPO receptor agonists translate into different patterns of activation of AKT and ERK12. Kinesis. 
in vitro ima mega karjepojezi stadis suggest that these two drugs increase platelet output by different mechanisms and thrombopagar by increasing megakaryocyte maturation for platelet formation from iplostin by increasing mainly megakaryocyte proliferation without a corresponding parallel stimulation of megakaryocyte maturation. For this reason, results obtained on platelet function studies after exposure to a thrombopagar or iplostin should be considered agent-specific and the results obtained with one TPO receptor agonist cannot automatically be extended to the other. No studies are available in which any hemostatic variation has been correlated with the occurrence of thrombosis in exposure to patients. Overall, the slight increased platelet reactivity, which is generally found in ITP in comparison to normal controls, it cannot show a further increase after exposure in vitro or ex vivo to a thrombopad. Furthermore, both TPO receptor agonists are able not only to release into circulation massive amounts of young platelets, but also to improve their apoptotic profile if they, are, if they were not immediately destroyed by the old antibodies, thus possibly altering the distribution of platelets of different age in comparison to normal subjects with the prevalence of young and more active platelets. Finally, both TPO receptor agonists do not seem to activate the coagulation fibrinolytic pathway as shown by the lack of increase in the dimer levels after treatment with these agents. So far, the potential thrombogenic TPO receptor agonist activity remains elusive and new studies are clearly needed. In conclusion, at variance with the recent past, in choosing ITP treatment, it seems relevant to take into due consideration also the patient's thrombotic risk. Individual profile risk should consider age, previous thrombotic events, prolonged treatment with corticosteroids, splenectomy status, assumption of estroprogestinic preparations, diabetes mellitus, hypercholesterolemia, treated hypertension, smoking, atrial fibrillation, valvular disease, coronary disease, obesity, sedentary lifestyle. Any effort should be made to correct modifiable risk factors and low molecular weight heparin prophylaxis is recommended for surgery, including splenectomy, provided the patient has a safe platelet count. All available treatments for ITP have significant side effects and TPO receptor agonists make no exception. Specific treatment of ITP should be restricted to patients with a real risk of bleeding in respect of their values, but never offer just to correct their platelet counts towards normality. You've been listening to Blood Advances Talks. Please visit bloodadvances.org for more audio reviews and for information on how to subscribe to the Blood Advances Talks podcast. A full transcript of this podcast can be found online. Music for Blood Advances Talks is performed by the Art Tipolo Trio and provided by Dr. Art Tipolo. This presentation is copyrighted by the American Society of Hematology. We thank you for listening.